wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. What's going on, guys, and welcome back to Wrestle Rant Radio for July 19th, 2018. I am Graham G.S. Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. Another loaded edition of Wrestle Rant Radio on tap for you here today. We're talking all things not only Raw, SmackDown, 205 Live, and NXT from the past week. Also got my candid thoughts on what was a pretty mediocre Extreme Rules pay-per-view. More like extremely bland and mediocre. Uh, pay-per-view from last Sunday. I'll be talking all about the event coming up shortly, as well as my full picks and predictions for this Sunday's Impact Slammiversary pay-per-view, which honestly I'm looking forward to, and I don't think I've been looking forward to this much a Slammiversary pay-per-view, or really any pay-per-view of any kind from Impact in years, in at least four to five years. Uh, The Impact product has been a lot better in 2018, especially in the last three to four months, they put together a real, consistent, solid string of shows. And it's great to see they have momentum on their side right now. They have a great card on tap for Slammiversary this Sunday. I implore you to tune in live as I will be this Sunday. So, again, looking forward to it. My full picks, preview, and predictions for the pay-per-view coming up at the end of today's WrestleRant Radio. But we got breaking news. Much more important than anything else that happened at Extreme Rules last Sunday is that I am now finally on Instagram. It took me, what, five, six, seven, eight years, but I am finally on the website. You can follow me at Instagram Mermina. So basically, you know, the whole pun, Instagram, whatever. It's at Instagram, G-R-A-H-A-M, then M-I-R-M-I-N-A. Follow me there for my lackluster updates. I have no idea what I'll be posting, when I'll be posting, if I'll be posting at all, but I figured I'd give it a shot starting last Tuesday, so check me out there. Follow me on the socials as well on Twitter at WrestleRant, on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gram.gsm.matthews, as well as on YouTube at youtube.com backslash c backslash Graham G.S. Matthews. Check out nextairwrestling.net for my full written reviews of events like Slammiversary, Extreme Rules, Ring of Honor, Best in the World, in addition to the regular shows like Raw, SmackDown, Impact, Main Event, NXT, 205 Live, Ring of Honor, Lucha Underground. Nextairwrestling.net is also where you guys can check out all new episodes of WrestleRant Radio every single week, in addition to on iTunes. Simply search up on the Apple Podcast app, WrestleRant Radio, Rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. You not only get every new episode on Thursdays, but also all the archived content dating back to October of 2013. Nearly five years worth of shows at your fingertips, only on iTunes. Uh, It's easier than ever now to check out WrestleRant Radio, so please do so. But like I said, let's waste no more time in breaking down the world of wrestling from this past week, starting with... Even more important than anything else that happened at its Sunday show at Extreme Rules 
was the reinstatement of Hulk Hogan into the WWE Hall of Fame. Now, we'll talk about this briefly. I went more into detail about this on hashtag AskGSM on Wednesday. For more thoughts on that, check out the show on Wednesday on YouTube, whatever. Um, But real quickly, WWE did announce on their website shortly before the pay-per-view on Sunday that Hulk Hogan had been reinstated back into the WWE Hall of Fame. Now, obviously the Hall of Fame is not a real thing, quote-unquote. It's not an actual building, a place you can go to. It's really a fucking section on their website is really all that it is. To some people, it means more than others, but when the whole Hulk Hogan controversy broke down almost exactly three years ago, Hogan was booted from the company. He was taken off of Tough Enough. Um, all mentions of Hogan were removed from the network and their website and everything else. I mean, you can't erase Hulk Hogan from history the same way you did Chris Benoit, but they tried, including by taking him out of the Hall of Fame section on the website. Now, that speared controversy and speared, uh, speared uh, speculation, is Hulk Hogan in the WWE Hall of Fame or not? I mean, I if you asked me at that point, I would still say yes. I don't really think that changed. Um, I think they would rather have, you know, they were rather just going for getting rid of him altogether and not really taking him out of the Hall of Fame. But apparently they did, and none of us were ever really notified because they put out that statement on Sunday saying that he was back in the Hall of Fame even though he was never really technically released from the Hall of Fame. They never put out an, uh, you know, and they did fire him three years ago. It's not like they said in the report or on the online article, well, Hulk Hogan's out of the Hall of Fame, like, it was kind of implied, I guess, it was really just purely speculation, based off the fact that he was no longer seen on the site, um, that section of the WWE.com where the Hall of Fame inductees are shown, anyway, um, Hogan is not technically back in WWE, we have no idea what his contract status is with the company, um, he could be back, he could have signed full-time, we don't really know, it's all rumor and innuendo right now, I would assume it's really, if he hasn't already, it's really more a matter of when than if Hulk Hogan will be back under contract to the company, I mean, this has been in the works for a while now, we knew this dating back to, you know, months ago, I mean, even years ago, we knew that he'd be back in the company at some point, some people doubted that, but I highly, very doubt, I highly doubted that Hulk Hogan would be forever banished from WWE, I thought they would wait a while before bringing him back. I didn't believe the rumors that he would be back over WrestleMania 32 weekend less than a year after he was booted from the company. I thought that was way too soon. But it's been three years and people, you know, it's still fresh in people's mind. Um, I think now's a better time, is as good of a time as any to bring him back into the fold. But again, the the backlash is really no better now than it would be a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, or it would have been last year. It's all the same because what this guy said will never be forgotten period. It could be forgiven in some cases, but it will never be forgotten. It'll forever, you know, obviously for the for the worse, not for better, but for the worse, be remembered as part of his legacy, as be remembered as part of the legacy of his life, not only in WWE or the pro wrestling world as a whole, but just as Hulk Hogan, Terry Belea, the person, will be forever remembered what he said on, for remember, uh, will be forever remembered, excuse me, for what he said on that tape 10 years ago. Regardless of when it was you know, posted or put up. The fact of the matter is, no matter what the context was, he said what he said. It was some pretty nasty shit, some pretty bad stuff. Um, and Hulk Hogan, in recent apologies and public, you know, um, public forums, has said, you know, be careful with what you say. He should more so apologize for what he said and not the fact that he was caught. Um, I see that, you know, criticism of Hogan online, which I completely understand. And like I said on hashtag AskGSM on Wednesday, people will take um, the Hulk Hogan news differently. Everyone is different. 
you could be black and be much more offended by it than someone who's white. And I've seen people say, oh, you know, the black people should just get over it. Black people should just get over it just because Hulk Hogan apologized. People just get over it. You don't just fucking get over shit like that. It's a pretty serious thing. And you can say anything you want about the world being more PC, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, that is applicable in certain cases more often than not. But I would not say that's the case for this one, uh, for Hulk Hogan, just because, again... It wasn't just one N-bomb, like, it was multiple, and it was pretty, some pretty vulgar stuff. Regardless of whether he was in a bad place in his life or not, um, doesn't really matter. There's really no excuse for what he said on that tape ten years ago. And, again, it doesn't always have to be forgiven. It doesn't, it will never be forgotten, like I said, that, that's not gonna change. Will it be forgiven? By some he has, by some he probably will never be forgiven by. But Hogan... If he wants to go public and apologize to people for what he said on that tape years ago, whether it be to the WWE locker room or to the fans or just the mainstream audience, whatever, just people in general, um, he should continue on and hopefully keep, keeping his act clean, staying clean, um, not getting any more shit from here on out, but also, you know, apologizing for what he said and showing awareness, you know, about the consequences of saying what he did. And obviously not feeling that way, not being a racist. I don't believe Hulk Hogan is a racist. I mean, I, I've never met the guy. I don't know him personally, so I can't say. My assumption is that he's not. He just made a lot of bad mistakes, and people always make mistakes. And people should be forgiven for those mistakes. They should be given a second chance or a third chance or whatever. I mean, but again, if you don't want to forgive him, that's entirely your prerogative. And you should not be shamed for that and saying, oh, you should just forgive him, just get over it. Like, no, fuck you, dude. It's different for everyone. So I'm in the camp that's happy to see Hogan back in the good graces of WWE to an extent anyway. And I will look forward to the day that a real American blasts in an arena and I'll go crazy. Um, but again, it affects everyone differently. Not everyone's going to be super stoked that Hogan's going to be back in the company. And I completely understand that. It's different for everyone. But I do think it's more a matter of when than if, as I said earlier, that we will see Hogan back on TV at some point. Now, I don't think it should be in a regular role as like an on-air authority figure or as a manager. Those days are long past gone. The guy's in his 60s. He can barely walk at this point. I do think Hogan can be a good ambassador for the company, like I said, if he keeps his nose clean from here on out. Um, but again, we'll see where they go with this. But I think anyone's thoughts on this situation can be best summed up in two tweets. One from at True Kofi, uh, Kofi Kingston on Twitter, as well as I think his Twitter handle is at Titus O'Neil WWE or something along those lines. Titus O'Neil, check out his Twitter, check out Kofi's Twitter. They both commented on the Hulk Hogan, um, you know, situation in the last couple of days, and they could not have summed it up any better. They weren't saying, oh, we forgive Hulk Hogan, it's totally fine what he said, blah, blah, blah. They didn't say that, but they also didn't bury the guy either for what he said. In so many words, they basically said that it's more of a wait-and-see approach with Hulk Hogan. We're not going to endorse the guy, we're not going to, like, fucking, you know, bury the guy, we're not going to talk shit about him, we're not going to say anything about it until that he shows that he's sorry and that he's moved on from his mistakes. That's really what it comes down to, and I thought that was a great, classy response from both New Day Kofi Kingston and Titus O'Neil. So check out those two tweets. They're pretty lengthy. They wrote them in their notes app on their phone, whatever, and posted it to Twitter in the last couple of days. Um, I think anyone's thoughts, at least my thoughts, can be best summed up in those two tweets. I think it's a great thing to uh, read, and it only gave me more, only made me respect those two even more than I already did. And that's saying something. So 
That's my two cents on the Hulk Hogan situation. He was not at Extreme Rules, or at least on Extreme Rules. He was backstage for the show, left halfway through the show. I never thought at any point he would appear on the show. It would be way too soon. Again, I mean, I guess he could be at SummerSlam. They could rush the whole process. I hope they don't. Um, I would save him for WrestleMania or some other appearance down the road. I think right now, again, it's too soon. He just got reinstated back in the Hall of Fame. Baby steps, people. Baby steps. Um, but the pay-per-view with or without Hogan really just was not any good at all. I don't know if I would go so far as to say it was the worst pay-per-view that WWE has put on this year. Because Backlash was pretty bad. Backlash has got to take the cake for the worst pay-per-view I have seen all year. Uh, Money in the Bank I thought was really good. WrestleMania was great. That might be the pay-per-view of the year. The Royal Rumble was great. I was at that show as well. Fastlane and Elimination Chamber I thought were very entertaining. This show, not so much. Really lacking in the extreme category. And it goes to, you know, goes to further prove what I have said and pointed out time and time and time again in recent weeks. That the Extreme Rules pay-per-view is completely unnecessary. The original intent of the event was to make every match on the card an Extreme Rules match. Have some sort of stipulation, whether it be a ladder match, a steel cage match, no holds barred match. And now you get that with every other fucking match on these cards. It's just WWE standard rules. And as Jason pointed out to me while we were watching the show together on Monday, that every single match had a, some sort of bullshit finish. Very few of these matches had an actual clean finish. There was some sort of controversy surrounding every single match on this show. For the most part. For the most part. Not every match. Like, Bobby Lashley beat Roman clean. That was great to see. But every other match, for the most part, had some sort of fucking shady-ass finish. Um, And I've said this before about Hell in a Cell. I've said it before about TLC. If they're not going to make these gimmick shows worthwhile... Just eliminate them and either have nothing in that spot. We don't even need a July pay-per-view. I would much rather have no pay-per-views in July and just start building up SummerSlam from Money in the Bank from that point forward. Now, in a perfect world, the WWE can use their TV shows um, as, like, mini pay-per-views, but they haven't done that in years. They haven't done that in a long-ass time and making their TV shows more important. Instead, they wait until the very last minute to build up the pay-per-views more often than not, and it makes Raw and SmackDown completely meaningless until the pay-per-view comes around because their execution is fucking terrible. But anyway, bottom line being, I hope Extreme Rules is no more come 2019. I doubt it will be eradicated. I'm sure it will stick around for, you know, for as many, for as long as it can. It's been around now for 10 years. This was the 10th Extreme Rules pay-per-view we've had since 2009. And it was easily one of the worst installments yet. Uh, the kickoff show, though, I thought was solid. The first match in the show saw Andrade Cien Alamas defeat Sin Cara in a rematch from SmackDown the previous Tuesday. Another very good match, a good win for Almas. The second match in the kickoff show saw Sanity beat the New Day in a tables match. Very entertaining stuff. I'm glad the two teams are feuding outside of the tag team title picture. They worked well together. Um, would love to see more of these two teams against each other in the future. And based off what happened on SmackDown on Tuesday, I assume that will be the case. But good match here. The right team went over. Sanity, as I've said before in past weeks here on the show, they have not been lighting the world on fire on SmackDown just because they'll be booked strong one week. They'll lose the next week. They'll bounce back the following week, and then they'll lose the next week. Um, But it was um, encouraging to see them win at Extreme Rules, and then again in singles competition in the subsequent SmackDown. But anyway, good stuff there. The actual event kicked off with the B-Team versus Woken Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt for the Raw Tag Team titles. In a pretty formulaic match, it wasn't terrible, not as dull as I thought it would be, but I found it very hard to care. The B-Team are just glorified jobbers. 
They did win the tag team titles here, which shocked me beyond belief. I thought all their wins recently on Raw were merely to build them up as credible contenders, and then they would lose, and how Hardy and Wyatt would move on, either the Authors of Pain, or Ziggler and McIntyre, or even the Revival. But no, the B-Team walked away the new Raw Tag Team Champions. I can't say I'm a fan. The Raw Tag Team division has been on ice for months now, if not a lo- even longer than that. Um, it is a nice change of pace. We'll see where they go with it. And I like Curtis Axel. I like Bo Dallas. I like them as a tag team. But I just find it very hard to care about a division where the champions are fucking jobbers, pretty much. I know they've won almost all of their matches in the last month or two. But still, they're not any real threat to anyone in that division on paper. And Hardy and Wyatt will get their rematch for the Raw Tag Team titles on next week's Raw. They could very well regain the gold there. I would assume not. But I would be happy to see it. As long as the belts eventually end up on the Authors of Pain or the Revival, I'm content. McIntyre and Ziggler would have been fine too. Um, but Ziggler is currently busy as the Intercontinental Champion. McIntyre has his sights set on the Universal Championship. So I would exclude them from the title picture for the foreseeable future while they do their own thing in singles competition. But yeah, the B team is Raw Tag Team Champions. I'm not currently sold on. I'm not even sold on the act, period. Um, I just think that they can only get beyond a certain level and... I don't know. We'll see where they go with it. We'll see where they go. But so far, it's not been uh, lighting the world on fire. And it's also confusing, too. And it doesn't help that. Which team are we supposed to cheer for here? This has been the case for a while now, where based off how the B team has been booked, you would think they'd be getting over as, like, underdog baby faces. But then they are booked like heels against Hardy and Wyatt, and then they face the frickin' Ascension on Raw, basically being made out to look like baby faces. And then Hardy and Wyatt came across his heels in their post-match promo on the B-team. So again, I'm not really sure what to think here. We'll find out next week. Hopefully the feud ends there. I can only get so much more of the B-team versus Woken, Matt Hardy, and Bray Wyatt. I'm long done with this feud. Um, But it is very possible we see new Raw Tag Team Champions crown this coming Monday on Raw. After that, we had a, speaking of Raw, a glorified Raw match between Finn Balor and Baron Corbin. It wasn't a bad match. It was well-wrestled. Baron Corbin looked good here, Balor looked good here, but again, it was hard to care. I was talking to Jason about it while we were watching it. Why should I care? Why should I give a shit? If Balor wins, who cares? If Baron Corbin wins, who cares? It didn't matter who won, so therefore, it didn't matter that I didn't care. You know what I'm saying? The match was alright, but it should have happened on Raw. Balor won with a roll-up. Uh, they made it seem like their bad blood is far from over. I would not be surprised to see a rematch at SummerSlam. They had no interaction on Raw the next night. But I do assume that since Balor did not advance to Universal Championship contention this past week, that Balor and Corbin will be resumed going into SummerSlam. And again, like I said, I could not care less. The absolute worst thing by far in the show came up next in the SmackDown Women's Championship match. It was where Carmella defended the belt against Asuka, and James Ellsworth, Carmella's lackey, was locked in a shark cage. Now, WWE loves their shark cages, They did it for, I talked about it last week, but they did it for the TakeOver Toronto show a couple years ago for Team 6-1 versus Authors of Pain. They did it mere months later at the Royal Rumble between Kevin Owens and Roman Reigns with Chris Jericho hanging up in the cage. They did the same exact thing at SummerSlam months after that with Enzo Amore in the cage in the match between Big Show and Big Cass. And now they did it again here and it wasn't any more tolerable than it was for the other instances. This was so stupid, because every single time you have someone in the cage, they interfere anyway. So what's even the fucking point? It was like the, it was what the the steel cage became a couple years ago. 
And they've kind of dialed this back a bit, which I appreciate. But it seemed like in every single Steel Cage match, they were basically encouraging interference. And it was like, what's even the point of the Steel Cage if it's not going to do its job in keeping people out? It was completely pointless. So I'm glad they've somewhat moved away from that. The Shark Cage is a dead gimmick. It was from the get-go, but now it's even dumber than it was when it was initially reintroduced a few years ago. Uh, but yeah, this match sucked. It really wasn't much of a match at all. It was more smoke and mirrors than anything, because they probably know Carmella can't wrestle. So they did more bullshit with Asuka going after Ellsworth, and Ellsworth dropping down weapons, and ultimately falling out of the cage, and getting beat up by Asuka for a few seconds before Carmella retaliated, took out Asuka, still the SmackDown Women's Champion. This sucked. This sucked. The only saving grace is that as much as I like Asuka, I'm glad they did keep the belt on Carmella, just because... I think Carmella and Becky Lynch is a better match for SummerSlam. I will talk more about that in my SmackDown review soon enough. So I'm fine with that, but Asuka needs a heel turn. She needs something. And I think it'd be good for the division too because SmackDown needs heels in that women's division right now. They have Carmella, who has everything but the in-ring ability, and she just sucks in the ring. Her matches are just not good at all. Um, We have Carmella, which is good, but the iconic duo aren't really doing anything right now. Mandy Rose and Sonya aren't really doing anything right now. Asuka would be, a, would be a very credible top heel for that division. And I assume they are going in that direction eventually. She made for a great heel in NXT. Um, she has now lost three matches in the matter of like four months. Three, not even three months. Three months. Between WrestleMania losing to Charlotte. Um, she lost a tag team match on SmackDown, but I don't count that. She lost to Carmella at Money in the Bank. And she lost to Carmella again on this show. For a woman that went undefeated for two and a half years, almost three years, she's really been booked to look like a loser lately, so I'm not sure what's going up with that, but hopefully she goes heel, and as John Ritland said and asked me on hashtag AskGSM this past week, I would love, absolutely love, an Asuka versus Becky Lynch feud for the SmackDown Women's Championship this fall. I think that would be a great way to kind of uh, re, re resurrect, rebuild, I guess, the SmackDown Women's Division. Um, back into what it once was. For the United States Championship, we had Jeff Hardy defending against Shinsuke Nakamura in a match that lasted all of six, seven, eight seconds. I didn't time it, but it seemed like it was less than 10. It had to have been less than 10. So before the bout, Nakamura blindsided Hardy with a low blow from behind. Uh, the bell rings after the referee does not see it, immediately hits his finisher, the Kinzasha, and gets the one, two, three, new United States Champion. So... I was worried. I mean, it, it made sense. Like, I was disappointed we didn't get the actual match. The rematch on SmackDown a few days later I thought was was very good. Um, I was disappointed we did not get an actual match, but I was okay with it, if only because we know we know Hardy's banged up. We know he's got to take time off soon. Um, so if they don't want to work a full-length match or not go all out, I completely understand that. They kept it short and sweet. They had Nakamura go over in less than 10 seconds. And he finally won something. After failing to capture the WWE Championship multiple times between last year and this year, he finally has gold around his waist. Now, it may not be the WWE title, but at least it's something. It's a nice consolation prize. So then afterwards, Nakamura is celebrating on the commentary table before being interrupted by one returning Randy Orton, who we have not seen since Backlash two months ago. Now, the commentators were making a big deal about this. Now, I know Orton is a big star, obviously, but I was literally just thinking the other day, and I was about to tweet on Saturday or Sunday, and I probably should have in retrospect. I was going to say, has anyone actually noticed that Randy Orton's been gone for so long? Like, honestly, the guy's been gone for two months, but it hardly feels like he's been gone for two, three months um, just because he wasn't doing anything of note anyway on SmackDown before he left. He had the match with Hardy. 
He lost to Hardy at Backlash clean. And then we didn't see him after that. He went out to go get knee surgery or whatever the case was. Um, but even before that, Orton has been putting me to sleep now at least since the Wyatt family stuff ended last year. Um, him and the Wyatt family I thought was great almost two years ago. And then they had him go back to being a babyface. They had him win the WWE title, do all this other dumb stuff that did not excite me in the slightest. It didn't matter whether he was in the tag team division, WWE title picture, main event scene, US title picture. Regardless of what this guy does as a babyface, he bores me to tears. Booked as a strong, resilient babyface, you know, like a I don't give a shit what you think about me type of babyface, then I can maybe get invested. But more often than not, the guy comes across as bland as, you know, month-old bread. Um, so the guy really needed a heel turn. It seemed like he got it at Extreme Rolls. That had to have been solidified on Tuesday SmackDown. So they had a rematch on SmackDown. I am jumping all over the place here, so I apologize. But Nakamura and Hardy had a rematch of the United States Championship on Tuesday night. And it was a very good match. Hardy, as he hit the Swanton, got the one, two, and then Orton pulled him out predictably enough from the bottom, from the under the bottom rope, start beating him up. Hardy wins by DQ. And then as he's inflicting further insult to injury here on Jeff Hardy, he's like pulling him up and saying something to him that we can't really hear. He said, you'll find out soon enough about why I attacked you. So nice cliffhanger there. But then as if that wasn't enough or as disturbing, if that wasn't disturbing enough, the visual of that, of seeing Orton stand over Hardy in just very odd fashion, he proceeds to pull on his ear, his earlobe, where the gauge would be. I don't know if he took the gauges out. Jeff Hardy did. I'm not really sure. But like tugging and tugging and tugging because his ear, Jeff Hardy's ear, has you know had those gauges in for so long. They've kind of morphed. You know, like people have kind of those like droopy ears. That's what Hardy has. So Orton tugged on that, and I'm sure it didn't hurt that much. But still, it looked gross, and it was a great visual. The guy's got to be a heel now. He's a great A asshole for what he did here to Jeff Hardy, one of the most beloved baby faces on that roster. How could he not be a heel coming out of this? But I thought it was a great angle. I don't know if they're going for a three-way at SummerSlam, which would seem to make the most sense because Orton has to be a heel. Nakamura's obviously a heel. I guess you could do Nakamura and Orton one-on-one, but the real feud here is Orton and Hardy, or Orton, Hardy, and Nakamura. Um, I would assume Hardy is you know, taking time off soon, but they could very well bring him back as soon as SmackDown next Tuesday and put him in a three-way for that title at SummerSlam. It would not surprise me in the slightest. But yeah, I mean, again, they had a good match on Tuesday. A three-way with Orton at SummerSlam, potentially, if it does happen, would be great as well. But already two days in, I'm already liking Orton's new heel side. It was so long overdue. It was so long overdue. Um, the guy has been generic as hell for years on end now. He desperately needed to go heel. And he finally got that on Sunday and then again on Tuesday. So I liked it. Two thumbs up. SmackDown continues to deliver in that department. Also at Extreme Rules, we had Braun Strowman battling Kevin Owens in a steel cage match. Um, it was, you know, entertaining for what it was. It was exactly what you would expect it to be, with Owens constantly running away from Strowman, making it more comedy than anything else. It wasn't an actual competitive contest at all. I mean, Owens did get in some offense, but by and large, it was all Strowman. So anyway, Strowman dominates a majority of the matchup. He gets Owens to the top of the steel cage, and instead of choke slamming him to the mat... He thinks, you know, I don't really care about winning. I'd rather inflict pain on this guy. For what reason? We have no idea. But he chokeslams him through the freaking commentator's table at ringside. 
had to have been at least 15 feet up in the air. And it's so surreal that it's been almost exactly 20 years since Mick Foley took that crazy bump off the top of the Hell in a Cell in June of 1998. Almost, I don't know if it's the same building, but definitely the same city in Pittsburgh. Um, I don't know if that was the intent. I haven't seen anyone say that. Like in WWE or the commentators bring it up. Usually if it was done by design, they would have brought it up by now. And maybe Owens will when he resurfaces on Raw, but... That was crazy. It was a crazy-ass spot. Props to Owens for taking it, but hopefully he's okay. Thankfully, he was off Raw the next night to sell the injuries. Um, but yeah, going back to Braun Strowman for a second, I'm fine with him losing. He is Mr. Money in the Bank. He did not need the victory. I said that going in, so I'm glad Owens won. But the thing is with Braun, like I'm glad he's Mr. Money in the Bank, but what did Owens do to deserve the punishment that he has inflicted at the hands of Braun Strowman? I just don't understand it. Unless they're going for a double turn, I would kind of get it, but they're not. Nor should they. I think Braun is better as a babyface right now, and Owens does not need to go babyface. So the whole thing is just weird. I, I'm sure the feud will continue going into SummerSlam. Uh, what type of match they would have there, I have no clue. But uh, I thought that was entertaining for what it was. For as long as it lasted, it was a good steel cage match. <clears throat> for the SmackDown Tag Team titles, we had the Bludgeon Brothers taking on Team Hell No. Um, this was a... Essentially a handicap match. Kane sat out a majority of the match after being attacked backstage beforehand earlier on in the evening. Um, so Team Hell No was already at a distinct disadvantage coming out of the contest. So Kane was nowhere to be seen from the get-go. Daniel Bryan had to go at it alone battling Harper and Rowan one-on-one, or one-on-two rather. And it was fun. It was good. I enjoyed it. It wasn't great at all. Uh, but it, it, it was good. And then Kane comes out in a boot and all. The state of WWE's medical team in 2018, folks. But anyway, um, better than a Z-Pack. So Kane comes hobbling out to the ring, and he can barely do anything. So obviously, um, they, they, they target that. The Bludgeon Brothers target the injured knee or ankle or whatever of Kane, the injured body part of Kane. Uh, they capitalize on that. They pin Daniel Bryan and are still the SmackDown Tag Team Champion. So we barely saw, for all the talk of Team Hell No, we barely saw any of Team Hell No together on this show. With the exception of them laying down on the on the ground together backstage after being attacked by the Bludgeon Brothers. That's a different story. Um, but again, it, it was fine. The result was what it needed to be. I'm glad Team Hell No got to reunite one last time before Kane retires at some point in the not-so-distant future. But it did not need to last longer than it did. Past Extreme Rules. So I'm glad it was cut short at that pay-per-view. And now Daniel Bryan can move on to a feud with The Miz in time for SummerSlam. Also at Extreme Rules, we had Bobby Lashley and Roman Reigns going one-on-one for the first time ever. And what turned out to be a pretty good match, I honestly did not mind this one bit. Uh, Bobby Lashley has not had a single memorable performance since coming back to WWE. But this was it. I thought this was a pretty good match, not a blow-away bout by any means. But for what it was, both guys had good showings. Um, You knew it wasn't going to be a match classic, but for the story they told, having the crowd invested for the most part... It was a good match, and the final stretch was especially entertaining. So, And I thought, moreover than anything else, the right guy went over. There was absolutely no need for Roman Reigns to win here, especially now knowing what we do at this point. They're going to clash again in a rematch from the pay-per-view next Monday on Raw. The winner goes on to face Brock Lesnar for the championship at SummerSlam. Obviously, Roman is winning. Otherwise, they would have had their match at Extreme Rules be the number one contenders match, where Roman would have won there. And we wouldn't had to go. We would not have had to go through this tournament that we currently have on Raw. But it's very predictable they're heading in that direction. They wanted to give Lashley a win to Roman over Roman before Roman beats him on Raw next week. It's just the way things go, unfortunately, in WWE. 
But like I said, it was a good match. It was a good match with a good result. The result was what it needed to be. And it was a big boost for Bobby Lashley, who has been, you know, pretty rocky since coming back to the company. He has not exactly been the most compelling babyface of all time. But uh, this was a good performance by him, as well as Roman Reigns, and both guys deserve credit for it. For the Raw Women's Championship and Extreme Rules match between Alexa Bliss and Nia Jax, this was, uh, this was not good at all. Nia Jax and Alexa Bliss have never really had the strongest chemi- chemistry to begin with. But, you know, I was hoping with the stipulation and all the weapons under the ring and around the ring and whatever, they can make the most of it and, um, you know, produce a passable match. But it was the farthest thing from a passable match. This was a total train wreck. Ronda Rousey in predictable fashion. Nothing wrong with this, but she jumped the barricade, immediately targeted Alexa Bliss and Nikki James. While she was busy with Nikki, Natalia was knocked out of ringside. Just a lot of overbooking here. Did not make care. Did not make me care about the match more than I did before. So if that's what they were going for. They failed. Um, but anyway, the match was what it was, and the result was what it needed to be. With her Alexa Bliss still the Raw Women's Champion. Um, but hopefully we can put this Nia Jax Alexa Bliss feud to rest once and for all. Because I am so sick of seeing these two women face off. Because their matches are never any good. Then we get to the WWE Championship match between AJ Styles and Rusev in what I thought was the match of the night on the pay-per-view. And you might not think that going in. I mean, we all knew it wasn't going to close the show because everyone knew and their everyone and their mother knew that Rusev was not winning that WWE title. Stranger things have happened, of course. But still, I mean, I did not expect so close to SummerSlam anyway that AJ would come this far as champion and then drop the belt to Rusev of all people. But again, I got to give props to both guys for putting forth a great match, a great performance here. They had the crowd on their side. The people bought into some some of Rusev's near falls. And I mean, I guess after the B-team won the Raw Tag Team titles earlier on in the evening, anything is possible. If the B-team can be, if the B-team can become Raw Tag Team champions, Rusev can certainly become WWE champion. He didn't, but he looked great in defeat. I really enjoyed this match. And again, like I said, it was the match of the night for the pay-per-view. I liked it a lot. Um, I don't know where they go with here from Rusev or from here with Rusev, just because it was technically Aiden English who cost him the match. So while at ringside, he exposed the turnbuckle, and as a result, Rusev went face first, head first, right into it um, towards the end of the match, which allowed AJ to recuperate, hit a 450 splash, then a phenomenal forearm to get the win. Um, so I'm not sure where they're going with that. They did tease tension between Rusev and Aiden again on SmackDown. And it was funny. It was really funny because Lana played Peacemaker here. She was kind of encouraging Aiden to kind of go his, and do his own thing and leave Rusev alone. We saw the exact same thing a few months ago. Nothing ever really came of it. So I'm not sure if this is for real or, or, for real or not or whatever, wherever they're going with this. I'm not 100% sure. But still, um, I am interested to find out. And like I said, it was funny that Lana was there for the breakup, apparent breakup of Rusev and Aiden in English, just because... In that same situation three years ago, Rusev and Lana should not have been broken up. It was Lana who was the one that was attached to Rusev by the hip. They were attached by the hip and whatever. They were one went, the other one soon followed. Um, they were the perfect act. And then WWE went ahead, went ahead and just broke them up. Had to go ahead and just break them up. And it was dumb. They have since reunited, of course, in various forms of competition. But still... Still, I think, um, you know, they made a mistake by breaking up Lana and Rusev when they did. And I think it'd be another massive mistake if they broke up Rusev and Aiden English. Just because, I mean, again, Aiden English is not the most, you know, 
uh, versatile performer on the roster. He's not going to become United States champion, I don't think. You never know. Again, crazier things have happened. But with Rusev, the guy works better with someone to work off of. And maybe not when he was with Jinder a few years ago. That was kind of a dumb tag team. But him and Lana were a great pairing, are still a great pairing. And him and Aiden English are money. Without Aiden English, there is no Rusev Day. How is, how is anyone going to know it's Rusev Day if Aiden English is not there to proclare, uh, proclare it every single time that he, that Rusev makes his entrance? How are people going to know that it's a happy Rusev Day if Aiden English is not there to say it to the world? So I'm not really sure where they're going with that. Hopefully they do stick together. I would hate for, to see them break up. I just don't see any, any reason to do that, especially if they have no idea what to do with Rusev going forward. I'd be very surprised, to be honest, if he ends up on the SummerSlam card. Him versus Aiden English would be just a waste of time. No one cares. A classic example of two people that are much better off together than apart. And then we get to the main event, a 30-minute Ironman match for the Intercontinental Championship. It was Dolph Ziggler and Seth Rollins going at it. 30 minutes on the clock. Quite honestly, this was very underwhelming. Um, It was not the match that it could have been. It was all right. It was good. By no means was it great. That's the issue they ran into here. Um, just because they had so much time to work with, and I think they kind of took advantage of that. Not, you know, in a good way, but of like, oh, we have so much time to have a great match, let's wait until the end. Just the layout I thought was lazy. I thought it was really, really lazy. With, um, you know, they, they did all their falls, for the most part, in the first 15 minutes. And then, for the 15 minutes that followed up until the finish, they were just going back and forth and fucking rest holds. They got like seven falls out of the way in the first 15 minutes. It was ridiculous. The same two guys who made an event that Raw not too long ago and went 30 minutes, close to 30 minutes, with not a single fall between them. So why should this be any different? I thought that was so stupid. And the match itself wasn't even that good. So again, it was a very good main event. By no means was it great. Um, the finish also kind of pissed me off. So ended in a draw, a 5-5 five to five draw or 6-6 six to six draw, whatever it was. They end in a draw here, okay? So Kurt Angle comes out as the Pittsburgh native. The crowd goes nuts for him. And he restarts the match. Doesn't save it for Raw, which would be nonsense, but they, they restart the match. And almost immediately, we don't even see Drew McIntyre on the apron. We just see the tail end of the interaction here between McIntyre and, and Rollins. Rollins knocks McIntyre off the apron. Ziggler capitalizes with a zigzag. And he wins. He is still the Intercontinental Champion. So, not really much of a restart. I thought that was pretty stupid. Um, a lame finish to an otherwise, you know, to, to a rather lame show, to be honest, if we're going to be completely truthful here. Um, it was disappointing. Very disappointing main event. And I don't know where you go with Rollins either. He failed to become the number one contender or even in advance to the number one contender's Universal Championship match on next week's Raw. So, where do you go with Rollins? He made it seem like on Twitter, as well as Ziggler, that he and Ziggler have unfinished business. So maybe they'll have another match at SummerSlam, but I thought it would have made more sense to get the belt back on Rollins. McIntyre pinned Rollins last week on Raw, and then you also had um, Ziggler having his rematch. So that would have paved the way perfectly for a triple threat match at SummerSlam. And they could still go in that direction, but I don't know how you get there at this point with McIntyre... I don't know, Rollins has now lost multiple times to to Dolph Ziggler and has failed to regain that championship multiple times. So I'm not sure where he goes from here. And if they have no plan for him and they took that championship off of him for no reason, then fuck this company. Because Rollins is the hottest star in WWE right now. 
If he's not going for the gold at SummerSlam, they are wasting their time. Um, that, and either if he's not that or Intercontinental Champion, what more can you do with him? What, a feud with fucking Baron Corbin? Who cares? A feud with Jinder Mahal? Who cares? A feud with Kevin Owens? Been there, done that. So again, time will tell. I don't have much faith in this company that they'll do right by Rollins, but if I had to take a guess, it will be Ziggler and Rollins again, if not a three-way with McIntyre for that Intercontinental Championship at next month's SummerSlam pay-per-view. So again, overall, it was not the greatest show by any means. Um, this was a one of the easily one of the worst pay-per-views all year. And the only real match worth going out of your way to watch, in my opinion, was AJ and Rusev, and Lashley and Reigns. Because the main event was very disappointing. The crowd going, oh, doing the fucking countdown for every minute that passes was so stupid. Um, the two women's matches sucked. Balor and Corbin was total throwaway. Nakamura and Hardy was an interesting angle. Not much of a match, obviously, but it was an interesting angle. Owens and Strowman was complete comedy, and um, that was about it. The Raw Tag Team title match was also total comedy, and the kickoff show I thought was good too. But that was Extreme Rules. Real quickly, my two cents on Raw for Monday night. Um, Kurt Angle, also at the show, I neglected to mention this meant to, to mention this during my Extreme Rules review, that Kurt Angle said backstage that if Brock Lesnar does not show up on the next night's Raw or come to terms on his next title defense... He will be relinquished of that Universal Championship. So, Paul Heyman did show up in, in rare form on Raw. Um, Brock Lesnar was nowhere to be seen, of course, but he will be a Raw, I believe, in two weeks, in the final Raw in the month of July. As SummerSlam, the road to SummerSlam heats up. But anyway, um, what was I saying with Paul Heyman? So, he comes out, accepts the ultimatum of Kurt Angle, basically saying, yes, Brock Lesnar will fight at SummerSlam. And whoever you have him go up against, he will reign supreme because he is the conqueror, Brock Lesnar. But yeah, in so many words, that's what he said. So uh, we got that set in stone. Brock Lesnar, despite all the rumors about him not wrestling at SummerSlam, which were completely ridiculous. How could they not have one of their biggest stars, if not the biggest star in the entire company, wrestle at SummerSlam? That is so short-sighted. I'm not even really, I'm not even really sure why people bought that. But anyway, um, in that same segment, multiple Raw superstars came out claim their stake at the Universal Championship match at SummerSlam. So Kurt Angle said this, we're going to have two triple threat matches on tonight's Raw. The winners of those three ways will face each other on next week's Raw. And that winner, that person will go on to face Brock Lesnar for the Universal Championship at SummerSlam. So obviously Roman Reigns won the first match by beating Balor and Drew McIntyre in what was a great match. Really the three ways were the only good parts about this show. Otherwise this was a pretty shitty show. But this was a great match. The second triple threat match was also great. Um, it was Bobby Lashley beating Seth Rollins and Elias in another triple threat. It wasn't as good as the first one of the night, but it was also pretty good. Had a nice pace. I didn't mind it. Uh, Bobby Lashley winning was a bit predictable. I thought there was a chance that Rollins could win and go on to face Brock, but it's not happening, so I got to get my head out of my ass here and move on. But anyway... Um, those were the only real things worth watching from Raw this week. Overall, it was a very dull show. It was those top two matches, and then the the well ran dry after that. We had Dolph Ziggler taking on Bobby Roode for what felt like the 500th time. No one gave a shit. Dana Brooke and Alicia Fox taking on Sasha Banks and Bailey by you know they they won by DQ. So the whole thing there in the latest chapter in the ongoing, seemingly never ending Banks and Bailey saga. Kurt Angle goes to one of them backstage. If you can't get along, I'm going to have to trade you to SmackDown. And I'm thinking here to myself, what would be so bad about that? For Kurt Angle to willingly trade someone to SmackDown would be so 
stupid. Because the guy sees their star power, but he wants them. He wants to get rid of them. And then on the flip side, why do you even really need the, for them to get along anyway? Why can't they just be putting a match together, settle their differences one-on-one, and then we can all fucking move on? But apparently Kurt Angle doesn't see it like that, and they are con- going to continue to do their thing. If I had to take a guess, they will create women's tag team titles for the company, and Bailey and Banks, this is a, an idea from the Sala Monster who threw this out in his show on Sunday. I thought it was a great idea. And I also see it happening, but ba- especially based off what we saw on Monday's Raw with one of them saying to the other, I think it was Sasha who said to Bailey, oh, I love you, I always will love you, I always have loved you, blah, 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 blah. I just want to see one of these women beat the holy shit out of the other and then just get it over with. That's what Bailey did to Banks, and I was so excited, and then they fucked it up with the whole therapy shit. But anyway, the match was total throwaway. Brooke and Fox won by DQ in the matter of a minute or so. Speaking of throwaway, we had the B-team taking on the Ascension in a match that really hardly mattered. Uh, the B-team continuing their winning ways. As I said earlier, it was announced that next week we're getting a rematch for the Raw Tag Team titles. The B-team against Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt. It is what it is. Hopefully Hardy and Wyatt can regain the gold. But at this point, does it even really matter? As long as the titles end up in either the Revival or the Authors of Pain, sooner rather than later, that's honestly all I care about. As for Hardy and Wyatt, I don't know what you do with them. Breaking them up again, having another feud again, really does nothing for me at all. So we'll see what WWE has in store for them, but I'm not all too optimistic because the Woken stuff is over, but WWE, I was hoping... I was hoping they would take it to another level with the Hardy and Wyatt tag team and do more vignettes and film stuff from the Hardy compound, but we've hardly gotten any of that during this feud with the B-team. Hopefully they can just wrap this up next week, have either team go over in decisive fashion, and then we can move on from this nonsense. Ronda Rousey attacking Alexa Bliss and Mickie James um, in what was a very good segment, I thought, which set up Ronda Rousey and Alexa Bliss for the Raw Women's Championship at SummerSlam, a match I thought they'd be doing dating back to, you know, the events that transpired at at, um, at Money in the Bank last month. The weird thing about this angle was that, so Ronda Rousey's still technically suspended by this point, okay? So it was weird enough that they had Ronda Rousey appear at Extreme Rules, because the whole thing was that the suspension wasn't in effect at Extreme Rules, Rather, she would, you know, she could appear on pay-per-view, but not on Raw. It was so stupid. But anyway, they had her appear at the pay-per-view. She shows up the very next night on Raw, despite the fact her suspension is not up until Wednesday, I think, this past week. Despite that, Ronda Rousey not only shows up on Raw, not only enters the ring, but also lays out, lays her hands on the Raw Women's Champion and Mickie James. Despite the fact that she might be in the right, she's still suspended. So despite that, Kurt Angle then, instead of punishing Rousey, rewards her with a shot at the Raw Women's Championship. Like, how much sense does any of this make? But whatever, at least we're getting Rousey and Bliss at SummerSlam. That, to me, is the real money match right now in the Raw Women's Division, so I'm looking forward to it. But I thought the logic behind that angle was so stupid. And really, just Raw. That explains Raw in a nutshell right now between the... Stuff with with Banks and Bailey. Now this, nothing makes sense. The only thing that makes sense on Raw right now is that nothing makes sense. So bear that in mind while watching this show. The Authors of Pain took on Titus Worldwide on this show. 
um, and a quick squash match. At least the authors of Pain are back on Raw. That's all I can say about that. Sarah Logan handing Ember Moon her first ever singles defeat on the main roster in really random fashion. I don't really hate the fact that Ember Moon lost. I mean, everyone's going to suffer a loss every once in a while. She should not have embarked on a massive undefeated streak dating back, you know, going on a year or whatever, a la Asuka. But, you know, her, her first loss should have happened in more, you know, memorable fashion. I figured Ember would beat Sarah Logan here, and then, if anything, Ruby Riot beating Ember Moon, would I would have been totally fine with that. Ruby Riot, I know, is still hurt. I'm not sure when she's due back. She's been out hurt now for over two weeks, so hopefully she's okay. Um, we'll see, but Sarah Logan, of all people, her first victory in WWE is over the undefeated Ember Moon. Now, I know they're trying to make something out of Sarah Logan, which is fine, and she's good, not great, but she's good, she's getting there, but it just seemed really, really random, and it made me care less about her than I did before. Like, it did nothing, it felt more damaging to Ember than it did to benefit Sarah, if that makes any sense, but whatever, really, again, like I said, raw in a nutshell. And like I said earlier, the second triple threat of the night I thought was um, not as good as the first, but still solid, with Bobby Lashley beating Rollins and Elias to cement his spot in next week's number one contenders match for the Universal Championship between Reigns and Lashley. Reigns is winning, that's my prediction. Reigns will go on to SummerSlam to beat Brock, and then Braun Strowman will cash in on Roman to become the Universal Champion, which is a great end result, but I don't think anyone could really care less. Move on to SmackDown from Tuesday. Again, I'll go quickly through this stuff between SmackDown 205 Live and NXT so I can give my uh, full predictions and preview of Slammiversary this coming Sunday from Impact. But SmackDown on Tuesday I thought was a much better show than Raw. Jeff Hardy kicking off the show addressing Shinsuke Nakamura to set up the night's main event for the United States Championship and rematch from the Extreme Rules pay-per-view. AJ Styles and Andrade Sin Almas had a great opening match. Andrade did not win, mind you. He did not need to win here, um, especially if he's not being set up to be the next number one contender to the WWE title. But it was a very good match. He got a lot of offense in. It was an entertaining outing. Hopefully he, you know, turned some heads in the back with his performance and made people realize, the officials, that he is all that and does have a very bright future on his own on SmackDown. Becky Lynch continuing her winning ways as well by beating Mandy Rose one-on-one, afterward announcing that she has her sights set by becoming the next SmackDown Women's Champion. But then we found out backstage in an altercation, a confrontation between Paige and the SmackDown Women's Champion Carmella, that Becky Lynch must first beat Carmella next week. And if she can beat Carmella on next week's show, that'll earn her a shot at the SmackDown Women's title at SummerSlam. Samoa Joe and Ty Dillinger, which was originally on tap for last week's SmackDown, took place on this week's show, Joe winning in a matter of minutes, a standard squash, but I will never get enough of Joe just killing dudes left and right. It'll never not be fun to watch. Daniel Bryan interrupting the Mrs. Eulogy, Eulogy, Eulogy? I think it's Eulogy, for Team Hell No, um, after they failed to capture the SmackDown tag team titles of the pay-per-view. This was great. Uh, The Miz was awesome on the microphone. I never thought I'd be so excited about a funeral in WWE, but this was great. Um, Daniel Bryan showed awesome fire when he came out, laying out everyone in sight, with the exception of The Miz, who fleed from the ring before Bryan could get his hands on him. And they've been building up this tension so they've been building up this tension so much between Bryan and The Miz that people are gonna go nuts when they eventually go one on one. Not at WrestleMania, which I would have held out for, but at SummerSlam. Now the company does not know if Bryan's resigning. We've been hearing multiple reports: he has signed, he hasn't signed, he's leaving, he's staying. My best guess is that he's sticking, 
with WWE. He's not leaving, which is fine. He could find success outside of WWE, but I would assume that WWE... I mean, you can't have the guy leave without doing the Miz feud first. And if anything, maybe Brian wins at SummerSlam, and then we have Miz beat Brian on an episode of SmackDown before Brian likely leaves. Or not likely, but could leave. We could, I could see that happening. But either way, I'm excited that I am, you know, that we, we are finally getting to see Brian and Miz feud one-on-one um, after all the tension that has been built up between the two over the last two years. It's been two years in the making, almost exactly. Because remember, it was two nights removed from SummerSlam back in 2016 that Miz went off on Daniel Bryan on that episode of Talking Smack right after SummerSlam. And at that same show, they could be going one-on-one for the first time in years. So again, I'm looking forward to it. Should be great. Eric Young and Kofi Kingston also engaged in combat on Tuesday. Eric Young emerged victorious, as he should have. And as is noted earlier during my Extreme Rules review, Hardy and Nakamura facing off for the United States Championship. Good stuff there. Hardy winning by DQ. Nakamura keeping the title before Orton attacked Hardy after the bell, ripping his ear apart, which was just fucking cringeworthy, cringeworthy to watch. Not like cringeworthy in the raw sense, but like cringeworthy in like, oh, like I hate Randy Orton now. So I thought that was great. 205 Live on Tuesday night, TJP knocking off Noam Dar in a very good match. Drew Gulak continuing his, uh, by main, maintaining momentum, I should say, by beating Danny Garcia. Um, it was also announced that next week we are getting a fatal four-way where the winner will earn the next shot at the Cruiserweight Championship between Drew Gulak, Hideo Itami, Mustafa Ali, and who was the other individual? Um, not Tony Nese, not Buddy Murphy. I forgot who the other person was, but they are facing off next week to determine the next number one contender to that championship. It's going to bother me. Who was it? Buddy Murphy, uh, Drew Gulak. I'm going to have to look it up real quick because I, I do think Ali is going over. Um, I don't remember who it is. Who is that other person? Oh, TJP. TJP because he had one in the openers. So yeah, TJP, Drew Gulak, Mustafa Ali, and Hideo Tommy facing up on that four away next week. In the main event of this week's show was Leo Rush toppling Akira Tozawa in another very good match. Not as great as I thought it could have been, but still quite good. And then on NXT this week, Lacey Evans beat Dakota Kai in a very good match. She continues to come along very well. We know Kai is great, but Lacey Evans is the one that I've been really impressed with her progress lately. So good on her for getting better. Cassius Ono um, beat Rick Ramirez in a matter of seconds in a real quick squash. Looks like he might be going heels soon, which would be great. And then in the main event, we had Kyrie Zane beating Candice LeRae and Nikki Cross in a triple threat match to become the next number one contender to the NXT Women's Championship. And also on that show, we had great video packages for the Velveteen Dream. Next week's Tommaso Ciampa versus Aleister Black NXT Championship match and for the War Raiders. So once again, NXT delivers another awesome episode on Wednesday that is well worth checking out. Now we close out the episode with my full picks, predictions, and preview. For Slammiversary from Impact on Sunday. Now, like I said earlier, um, Impact has gotten a lot better in 2018. If you're one of those people that does not want to give the company another chance after they disappointed you so many times, take it from me. You may not trust me, but you, you should. You, tr- you should trust my word. Take my word for it. The pay-per-view, the product, the, the pay-per-view should be good. The product has been a lot better in 2018. The last couple of months um, have had a solid sense of direction. The matches have been great. The feuds have been very compelling for the most part in every sense. The tag team division, the women's division, the X division stuff, the main event stuff, and even some other stuff. So again, Impact has been firing at all cylinders lately and should be given another look come Sunday Slammiversary pay-per-view. Um, Tessa Blanchard versus Allie. The feud just started. Blanchard has been losing left and right lately. 
to Madison Rain and a few others. She's got to win here. Um, Allie will suffer no, really not lose anything in defeat. Blanchard also recently signed. Maybe they had her lose because they did not know if she was going to be sticking around for the long run. But it was recently announced that Blanchard is um, has signed a long-term deal with Impact, at least for the next few years. Um, so I see Blanchard going over here, as she should. In a House of Hardcore rules match between Eddie Edwards and Tommy Dreamer, there's absolutely no reason for Dreamer to go over here. I've been liking the feud. Um, Eddie Edwards has been, you know, kind of a heel after kind of going all in on Sammy Callahan. He's become the real heel lately in this thing with Dreamer and accusing Dreamer of taking his wife. So, again, the whole thing has been great. Um, but, no, this match should be a lot of fun. Dreamer is like one of the, I don't want to say a hot free agent, but the guy's all over the place in 2018. He recently appeared in Lucha Underground. He shows up in WWE every now and again. Um, I think, didn't he do an NXT house show not too long ago where like, he faced like Baron Corbin or something like that like a few years ago? He appeared in Ring of Honor, their final battle pay-per-view back in December. Tommy Dreamer is all over the place. In addition to running his own House of Hardcore promotion, um, this should be a lot of fun, but Eddie Edwards has to win this. Tommy Dreamer winning in 2018 over a guy like Eddie Edwards would make no sense. I, I could see it happening, but Eddie Edwards winning is the best route to take here. In a random four-way match with nothing on the line, but it should be a lot of fun. Could be the match of the night. Um, we see Tajiri, uh, Taji Ishimori, excuse me, Taji Ishimori, Rich Swan, Johnny Impact, and Phoenix all going one on one on one on one. Rich Swan is the new um, like the new toy for Impact, but he's honestly lost like the last two or three matches that he's had in Impact, which is weird. Um, I do see Johnny Impact winning here. Um, I, I think he has his sights set on Killer Cross, is what he said in a recent interview for, with Impact. So. Um, I could see him winning here. Phoenix would be great. Any one of these guys would be great. I thought Ishimori left. I guess not. I thought he was embarking on a career in WWE, and he still could. But I thought he was being picked up by NXT or wanted to go to NXT or was doing more stuff in New Japan. I don't know. But he is back for this pay-per-view. Um, but of all four of these guys, I got Impact going over. He hasn't been seen in months. And I expect for them to bring him back with a bang by winning this four-way and possibly putting himself in world title contention in the process. Um, Pentagon Jr. taking on Sammy Callahan in a mask versus hair match. Now, I think I might be looking forward to this match more than anything else in the show. Just because I did see a Pentagon versus Sammy Callahan match at a Northeast Wrestling show last June in 2017. And it was fucking great. Now, granted, it was no DQ. I don't think this is no DQ. They already have a street fight on the show. And also Eddie Edwards versus Tommy Dreamer, so I don't think it is. But still, um, this should be awesome. I expect them to have a great chemistry. Sammy Callahan is already losing his hair anyway, so it's very obvious that he's losing here. Um, but it should be great nonetheless. And a 51-50 street fight. The original LAX, the OGs, Homicide, and Hernandez taking on uh, the, the current members of LAX. Their names escape me at the moment. Ortiz and I don't remember the other guy's name. But yeah, they are taking on the OGs, as they call themselves, the original LAX with uh, King Eddie Kingston in their corner. The tag titles, as far as I know, as seen, I looked on Wiki for this card. They're not on the line, which is weird. I thought they were. They still could be. I, I assume that they're not. Um, I'm going to have the original LAX go over here. They could have this turn into a real full-fledged feud by having the OGs win here and then, you know, they having the baby faces overcome the heels in the end by winning at some point down the road. Um, but I don't think this will stretch beyond Slammiversary. I don't think it... I mean, I guess it should because the feud's been great. Um, but I'll go with the original LAX. I guess if the titles... Okay, I'll say this. If the titles aren't on the line, then the OGs. 
because them winning will earn them a future tag team title opportunity and prolong the feud. If the titles are on the line, then LAX to keep the championships. For the X Division Championship, Matt Seidel taking on Brian Cage. They had a match on Impact not too long ago that was interrupted by Congo Khan. Cage beat Kong, so Kong is out of the picture. Um, I expect Cage to win here. I think he should. Cage is the hot hand right now in Impact. There's no real reason to not put that championship on him. Now, granted, he's not an X Division guy, but he has been running through people left and right. I don't see why not. Matt Seidel's had a great reign, but... It's time for Cage to take that title and run rampant with it. So I got Cage going over here. For the Impact Knockouts Championship, Sue Young versus Madison Rain. I got to go Sue Young. Madison Rain has been impressing me since coming back. She's proving that she can hang with the likes of, you know, Sue Young, Tessa Blanchard, and a few others. She's had some pretty good matches since coming back. Um, but she's nothing more than a stepping stone until um, Allie rises up to take the belt back or even, Ro I would assume Rosemary will return to take that championship from Sue Young. Um, so until then, I got uh, Sue Young going over. Still the Impact Knockouts champion. I think Madison Rain is also challenging for the Ring of Honor Women of Honor Championship this weekend, which is also pretty cool. So congrats to her for making history because I don't think anyone has ever done that before. I, I doubt it. I mean, the, the Women of Honor Championship just debuted like six months ago. Not even so, like two months ago. So she is making history in that sense, which is pretty damn cool. I don't expect her to win the Women of Honor Championship either, but just thought I should note that. And then we get to the main event, Austin Aries versus Moose for the Impact World Championship. Now, this is tough. Um, Aries won the belt from Eli Drake earlier on this year, and then he dropped the belt to Pentagon Jr., got the belt back soon after. It's a little early for Aries to be dropping the championship to Moose, but... I mean, Moose has been primed for the championship for a while. It's tough because they also don't know if Aries is sticking around. I'm going to say Moose because they have been wanting to make him a main event star now for a while. They did put the originally the, the Feast or Fire briefcase on him, so they obviously saw something in him when they signed him and when they put the briefcase on him a few months ago. I'll say Moose. I'll say Moose. I could very well easily see Aries retaining and then Moose getting the belt down the road, but if Impact wants to deliver a big pay-per-view, like a newsworthy pay-per-view they'll have um, Moose win. Now, Pentagon Jr. won the title the last pay-per-view before Ares got it back on TV. Um, so, again, I mean, I guess I could see Moose losing here because they just had a title change in the main event of their last pay-per-view. But still, I'll play it safe and say Moose, the new Impact World Champion. So, again, I look forward to the show on paper. It's a pretty strong card. Like I said earlier, Impact has really turned it around in 2018. I expect big things from the company moving forward, starting with Slammiversary on Sunday. So anyway, guys, that is going to wrap up another edition of WrestleRant Radio here today for July 19th, 2018. Thank you guys for checking out the show. As always, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. Also, rate and review us on that same app. On Apple Podcasts, simply search up WrestleRant Radio. Hit that subscribe button. You not only get all the new episodes every single Thursday, but you get all the archives content dating back to October of 2013. As for me, folks, you can follow me all over the socials. On Twitter, at WrestleRant. On Facebook, at Facebook.com backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews. Find me on YouTube at YouTube.com backslash C backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews. And also, finally, on Instagram. on my all-new Instagram account, at InstagramRamina. At I-N-S-T-A-G-R-A-H-A-M-M-I-R-M-I-N-A. So again, guys, thank you, as always, for checking out the show. I appreciate it. All new episode coming your way next Thursday with my full thoughts on the Impact Slammiversary pay-per-view as the road to WWE SummerSlam quickly approaches. 
So anyway, guys, enjoy the rest of your week. I'm Graham Jason Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road.